Hello, and welcome to Homegrown KC, a podcast dedicated to exploring Kansas City's fascinating history and sharing stories from a rich past. I'm your host, Laura. Join me today as we explore a piece of Kansas City's history. Hello, y'all. Welcome back. Happy Easter to my Orthodox listeners. They celebrate a week after other Christians. That's cool. Ukraine, we continue to stand with you. But again, once again, listeners, please remember to be nice to your Russian neighbors because they probably don't support Putin. If they do, then you can shun them, but otherwise be nice to them. Thank you for joining me today. This is part two of episode two, The Long Journey of series five, People of the Island. People of the Island is the translation for the traditional tribal name of the Wyandots. Please make sure to listen to part one of this topic and topic one of the series, The Evilisms. Topic one explores how imperialism and colonialism shaped Western European and American interactions with Native and Indigenous populations. Spoiler, not great. Part one talks about... Uh, some of the early interactions between Wyandots and European settlers. So, a couple of things before we start. Um, the traditional name of the Wyandots is Wendat or Wandat, and Wyandot is the English version. I'm going to stick with Wyandot because that's what they go by now. I also want to make it clear that this sh- should in no way be considered a definitive history of these people. I am not an authority on Wyandotte history. They are their own authority. But I have a platform and a microphone, and um, I really want to lift up voices of marginalized groups and tell their stories, uh, which is part of why I'm doing this. Um, I was also honored and privileged to hand the microphone off to them, so to speak. I spoke with Second Chief Louis Libby of the Wyandotte Nation of Kansas. That conversation is currently only available to my patron listeners. They're getting early access to it, but it will be available to everyone beginning June 1st. There's also a content warning for the series. I won't get graphic, but I do discuss uh, slavery, genocide, war, and uh, other tangential subjects, which may be difficult for some. Please note there also may be some mild swearing. Thank you. So we're going to pick up right where we left off. It's 1842. Um, the Indian Removal Act has been around for 12 years. The Wyandots are the last group to be in Ohio. And they're like, no, we're not leaving. You promised us this land. We are staying here. Damn it. <laughs> but then one of their chiefs and his family was murdered. And it was so horrific that a uh, They're like, okay, that's it. I guess we're done. We're leaving. So in July 1843, they left. They traveled down the river. And they were promised land in... um, Oh, sorry. What's the area I'm thinking of? In Westport. Uh, They were promised a lot of land in Westport. But the boat they're on... The guy just sailed right past Westport, and he dropped them off in the West Bottoms in December of 1843. 
if y'all have listened to my episodes on the uh, stockyards, you will know that the West Bottoms flooded a lot, like every year almost. Um, back then, before you know, they had figured out how to stop it from flooding so much with uh, engineering. So that first winter, it really sucks. They're they're living out in these like tents and tarps. If that, a um, hundred of their people die. But a few months later, spring of 1844, the Delaware, who the Dots had been friends with the Delaware up in Ohio, and the Delaware had already moved south. The Delaware were like, hey, we have some land on the other side of the river in Kansas. Do you want some? Yes, we do. Yes, please. Thank you. So the Delaware sold them some land, and they moved onto their land in 1844. The very first thing they did was... Uh, establish their burial ground so they could bury their dead. Especially, you'll see when we talk with Chief Libby, the dead and taking care of the dead is really, really important to these guys. It's, um, It's a sacred duty. They also built the first church and the first school in the what would become the Kansas City area. In 1853, the Wyandots invited all of the neighboring tribes to what was Wyandotte City, uh, and they agreed to create their own government, and they elected Wyandotte William Walker as the provisional governor. Documents verifying and certifying all of this were sent to Washington and rejected by Congress, of course. In 1855, just a couple years later, um, they... I don't know how else to describe this. It's just, it really sucks. Okay, so um, every time that they think they're settled, the U.S. government rolls up and is like, hey. And by now, all I can think is that they've got to be like, no, I don't want no scrub. Go away, U.S. government. Um, But... The U.S. government sends a representative in 1855. They roll up. Hey, how about y'all become U.S. citizens? And give them, like, I don't know, a super short amount of time. I heard an hour to decide, but that might have been a slight exaggeration. You know, maybe they gave them a day to decide. Yes or no, do you want to sign this treaty? So, um, finally they're like, well, okay, I guess. And they signed the treaty. They're no longer considered Wyandotte citizens. They're considered U.S. citizens. And and that sucks, but it's about to get worse, as you'll see. So a lot of the families are like, we never wanted this. Why did you say yes? So finally, after a couple of years, in 1857, the tribe splits again. Some stay in Kansas, but, um, what was it? I think I read, like, 300 people are like, no, we are going to go to Oklahoma because we've been told, hey, we have all this land in Indian territory. It's wide open. If you go south, we'll give it to you. Listeners, this is a lie. (laughs) You know this. 
Indian Territory, what is now Oklahoma, is not wide open. This land is not freely available. The U.S. government has been pushing everybody into Oklahoma. There's probably no room left in Oklahoma. And it's still open to settlers. Have you ever seen the movie Far Away with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman? Made in 1992, it's one of his very few decent movies. Sorry, not a Tom Cruise fan. Uh, love Nicole Kidman, though. She's one of my favorites. Anyways, um, at the very end of this movie, you see everyone racing across the prairie as fast as they can to plant their flag and claim their land. That's Oklahoma. That actually happened. So, oh, here, here my notes say um, one to 200 people are like, no, sorry, we don't want to be U.S. citizens. Peace out. We're going to Oklahoma. And when they get there, guess what? There's no land. Are we surprised? No. So they talk to the Seneca and the Seneca sell them about 20,000 acres. Uh, skipping ahead just a tad, this land, a.k.a. a reservation, gets divided up into allotments among the 241 tribal members in 1893. Um, so, also kind of backing up for a second, allotment is something that I'm going to detail for you in just a minute. This also happened to those folks who had stayed in Kansas and were like, yes, we'll be citizens. Okay, you're citizens now. You no longer live on a reservation. Here, we're going to divide up what was your reservation into portions for each family only the problem is if you're a woman you're not allowed to own land and there's a lot of like single women or women head of households at the time anyways okay so allotment was a part of the dawes act of 1887 quote also known as the general allotment act the law authorized the president to break up reservation land which was held in common by members of a tribe into small allotments to be parceled out to individuals. Thus, Native Americans registering on a tribal roll were granted allotments of reservation land. Quote, To each head of a family, one quarter of a section. To each single person over 18 years of age, one eighth of a section. To each orphan child under 18 years of age, one eighth of a section. And to each other single person under 18 years old, now living, or who may be born prior to the date of the order of the president directing an allotment of the lands embraced in any reservation, one sixteenth of a section. End quote, end quote. So supposedly this law was passed in order to protect Native American rights. Obviously, that's not what's going on. Uh, the method in which all of this was conducted basically ensured that tribes lost huge sections of their land. The podcast This Land, which I'm going to have a link to on my website. It has an episode all about allotments. This podcast is so good. I'm really enjoying it. Um, some of it kind of makes you want to cry. and Some of it kind of makes you want to beat somebody up. But you really need to listen to it. Uh, the focus of this land is actually on Cherokee tribal history. Particularly once they got to Oklahoma. But they face so many of the same issues as the Wyandots. There's a lot of crossover. Back up to Kansas. Um, in 1856, Silas Armstrong, who is like a, a leading member of the Wyandotte community, he plots out what would become the city of Wyandotte. Um, earlier, you know, I said, hey, they invited everyone to the city of Wyandotte. It's actually not been incorporated yet. But he invites a bunch of businessmen that he works with from Westport over and they plot out the city and then it becomes incorporated in 1856. 
Um, about that same time is the creation, um, creation of Quindaro. And, you know, I was going back and forth on do I talk about Quindaro or not? And I have finally decided I'm not going to here. Two reasons. One, uh, Chief Libby talks about it a lot, so you'll get to hear about it from her. And two, um, it's history, you know, it's established by the Wyandots, or sort of. So there's that, but what really made it famous is something else entirely, so that's what I'm going to save it for is when I do that subject. I'm, I'm trying to build up some suspense. In 1858, we have the Wyandotte Constitution. Uh, now is not a time to dive into the history of the Civil War, Slavery was the root cause. Fight me. Um, but the war was fought from 1861 to 18, 1865. So we're almost there, right? And predating the war, you have the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 54, which created the Kansas and Nebraska territories. This was a BFD. Up until then, pro-slavery and anti-slavery states, and I'm totally getting into the Civil War and I don't mean to, blah, 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 equal power. Now we have two states that may or may not be you know, slave or not slave and could upset the balance of power and we're all worried about this. In July 1858, the Wyandotte Constitution was signed in Wyandotte City because it has officially been incorporated. Oh, sorry, uh, notes say it, it's plotted in 56, but it's not officially incorporated until 59. So that really took a long time. Um, anyway, so... This constitution established the boundaries of the territory and it, quote, rejected slavery and suffrage for women and blacks, but affirmed property rights for women, end quote. But the most important thing in the context of the time is that this constitution declared Kansas a free state. So that's, you know, just it leads into builds up all the tension for the Civil War. Um, I found this really interesting when I was reading about it, um, and it was alluded to in a few other sources I read, but um, I actually ended up finding a bachelor's thesis online by Sheldon Yeakley at the Oklahoma Christian University, and it was written in 2006. So the Wyandots did not practice slavery. They were actually vocally anti-slavery, but that was just until they moved to Kansas. Then a minor group um, within the tribe was like, okay, we do slaves now. And this caused a huge internal divide among them because, because they were so anti-slavery. They, the idea of freedom and sovereignty is really deeply spiritually integral to the Wyandots. And again, you'll hear about that when we talk with Chief Libby. Um, so this new pro-slavery, pro-save, um, this new group that's like, okay, we do slaves, um, it led to a Shiism within the Methodist church, and so now we have two Methodist churches. In 1867, there was yet another treaty signed that, um, once again confirmed the legal existence of the Wyandotte tribe. And uh, let me specify here, this is the Wyandotte tribe of Oklahoma. And 
they spell it Wyandotte, W-Y-A-N-D-O-T-T-E, which is how Wyandotte County is spelled. But the Wyandotte Nation of Kansas is W-Y-A-N-D-O-T. In 1872, again, another treaty, um, says that citizens can now be adopted back into the tribe, the Oklahoma tribe. In 1886, Wyandotte City merged with two other small towns to form Kansas City, Kansas. In 1915, the Wyandotte tribe officially reorganized themselves and named themselves the Wyandotte Tribe of Oklahoma. In the 1930s, um, okay, so I went to the KCK Public Library to do research because in their special collections they have a shit ton of um, primary sources, actually, about the Wyandots. And that was all gathered by William Walker, who, remember I mentioned him a second ago, he helped establish the boundaries of Wyandotte City. He had gathered all of these primary documents and first-hand accounts from his family, friends, and neighbors, and whatnot. And then after he died, his daughter donated all of that to the Kansas City, Kansas School Board, but then donated it to the public library. And that all happened in the early 1930s. I mean, the, uh, the donation part. In 1937, the Wyandotte Tribe of Oklahoma developed its own constitution. And in 1956, 1956, it took all this time. Congress is like, mm, now nah, we don't recognize you. This is ridiculous. No longer recognizing Wyandotte as a federal tribe. In 1999, if you're noticing, there's some big gaps here. There's not a lot of information on what anybody's doing in the 1900s. I think they're just normal people and they're just living their lives. But in 1999, this is cool. We have the Windet Confederacy. Quote, Today, while we are divided into four nations, we remain one people, gathered in a collective confederacy. End quote. So... The tribe of Oklahoma, the tribe of Kansas, those who had stayed in um, Sandusky, and even those who had stayed in Quebec, they all met up and they're like, yo, we're all Wyandotte? Yeah, okay. And they just, they reaffirmed their um, familial relations, and it's it's really beautiful. I think... Um, Chief Libby talks a little bit about that as well. And then, 2003, yeah, 2003, <laughs> um, Congress is like, okay, Oklahoma, you're a federal tribe again. Like, it took 50 years for them to get that back, and they shouldn't have got rid of it in the first place, and oh my god, the drama. What does it mean to be a federally recognized tribe? Because I talk about this a lot. Um, it, it's going to come up again, I'm sure. According to the BIA, that's the Bureau of Indian Affairs, quote, a federally recognized tribe is an American Indian or Alaska Native entity, a tribal entity, that is recognized as having a government-to-government -government relationship with the United States 
with the responsibilities, powers, limitations, and obligations attached to that designation, and is eligible for funding and services from the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Furthermore, federally recognized tribes are reorganized as possessing certain inherent rights of self-government, i.e. tribal sovereignty, and are entitled to receive certain federal benefits, services, and protections because of their special relationship with the United States. At present, there are 400, sorry, 574 federally recognized American Indian and Alaska Native tribes and villages, end quote. That is not all of the tribes that actually exist. Those are just those that are federally recognized. So as of 2022, only the Oklahoma portion of the tribe can claim federal recognition. Kansas and Ohio cannot um, Kansas has sought the right in the past. They are not currently doing so. Anderon, which is um, the Ohio tribe, they are currently fighting for it. And the Huron-Wendent Nation, which is the Canadian portion, they actually are recognized by Canada as a first tribe, and they have about 4,000 members. Today, the Oklahoma tribe has about 7,000 members. So... It's really come back from only having about 300 left when they moved to Oklahoma. I'm really actually rather proud of that um, for them. Not like not like I did it, but I'm, I'm proud for happy for them. Anyways, so um, if you've been to KCK, I'm sure you have seen the 7th Street Casino. It was built in 1995. It is right next to the burial ground. And it's actually owned and run by the Oklahoma Nation, since Kansas is not federally recognized. Um, and how exactly that worked when Oklahoma didn't get recognition back until 03, I have no idea. But according to the Nation of Kansas website, in 95 when that opened, they voted, and it still holds today, that if and when they receive federal recognition, they will not open a casino of their own. The Wyandotte Nation Cultural Center in Oklahoma opened uh, in September 2016. Quote, the 7,625 square foot cultural center features a museum, classrooms, a multiple purpose room, a gift shop, and the tribal heritage department offices, end quote. So this place is 100% going on my bucket list. It may even be a homegrown KC adventure someday. Apparently, there's been a significant amount of archaeological research done in Canada and Ohio, and hundreds of ancient Wendat artifacts have been uncovered, um, and these are now on display in the museum portion of the cultural center. Uh, I feel certain that there have to be artifacts somewhere on display in Sandusky, Ohio, although I was not able to confirm that, and I know for certain that some items um, of Wyandotte Heritage are on display at the Wyandotte County Museum. I spoke with Amy Locke, who is the director of the Wyandotte County Museum last summer. Amazing conversation. Um, that conversation is currently only available to my patron supporters. And as awesome as it sounded, I have still, sorry, not visited, but I plan to very, very soon. Y'all hear about that after I go, I, I promise. Um... And of course, you know, Wyandotte County is named after the Wyandots. We also have several streets named after the Wyandots, um, including even a street called Upper Sandusky. 
There was a very, very long, drawn-out struggle over the fate of the burial ground that began around the turn of the 20th century. But that's a story for another time. This will be the end of today's episode. Thank you for joining me as we continue to explore some of the history of the Wyandotte people. Make sure you listen all the way to the end of this to catch a clip of that conversation with Cheap Livy. It will be available soon, but if you want early access to it, become a patron supporter. Sources? Um, same as last time, y'all. I did research at the special collections of the KC Library, the KCK Library. Um, I watched a YouTube video that the KCK Library had um, put together. It was a discussion between um, Wyandotte Nation of Kansas archivist John Nichols and Kansas Studies Institute director Ty Edwards. That's uh, The link for that is going to be on my website. Uh, the links to all four Wyandotte Nation websites will be on my website. And a link to the podcast, This Place, will be on my website. Um, I, f- I forgot to mention it in part one. I did mention it when I talked about evil-isms. Or, sorry, in that topic, evil-isms. There's another podcast by the, um, what is it, in- Indigenous people hold on i need to find that name okay the podcast is called uprooted and it's by the indigenous foundation there we go um still haven't tried how this podcast because i've been so consumed by listening to this land but i'm gonna have links to the indigenous foundation's website and instagram on my website and a link to their podcast um they've put out really phenomenal stuff about the issues that Native Americans and First Nations face. If you haven't heard the news, and by now you really should have, I'm going to have a booth at the First City History Festival in Livermore, Kansas on Saturday, April 30th. I'm super excited. I hope that you'll stop by if you live in the area and uh, say hi to me. And I hope you'll be consider becoming a financial supporter of the show. There's a few ways you can do so. You can subscribe to patreon.com slash homegrownkc or redcircle.com slash homegrownkc. Or you can give a one-time donation at Red Circle or at ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash homegrownkc. You can give as little or as much as you want. Uh, you'll be charged on the day that you sign up and then on the first of every month afterwards. If you become a patron supporter, you get an item from the merchandise store valued at $5 or less, a shout-out on each show uh, and on each social media post. So thank you, Bjorn, Joan, and Gina for your continued support. And you get access to exclusive bonus episodes featuring local historians, archivists, and museum experts. An example of that that you can listen to right now is Redline KC, which is about the Redlined exhibit at the Johnson County Museum, and I spoke with Andrew Gustafson. Um, another example is the episode with Chief Libby. Right now, patrons have early access to it. It'll be available to everyone in June. If you simply donate you're not getting access to those episodes and you're not getting anything from the merchandise store, but I will give you a shout out on the next episode I do. And if you donate on Kofi, 1% will automatically go to help fight climate change. The way that I'm trying to organize this is if you donate or subscribe on Patreon or Red Circle, 
Um, that money's being used to pay for gas as I go on my adventures or, um, uh, like ticket fees to get into the museums. Um, but if you donate on Kofi, I trying really hard. I want to set that money aside so that I can attend a conference in 2023, either a history conference or a podcast conference because they have those. And um, the podcast conference would be really cool because then I could network with other podcasters and learn how to make my show better for y'all. If you can't support me monetarily, which is totally cool, I get it. You can still support me by subscribing and following my Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, and Tumblr pages, and my YouTube channel. Still haven't done much with YouTube yet. Uh, I'm going to get there this summer. <laughs> and make sure you rate and review me on Apple Podcasts or Facebook. You can also check me out on Audia. It's a new audio-based platform I'm partnering with that features multiple kinds of audio-based content. Visit my website for additional information on each topic. That's homegrownkc.wordpress.com. You can also sign up for my newsletter there. You'll get an email from me once a month that says, hey, here's what's going on with the show. There's probably a new episode out. I will not email you every day. You don't have to worry about that. If you have any questions, comments, um, concerns, or episode suggestions, you can email me at homegrownkcpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can DM me on any of my social ne- uh, social media networks. Would love to hear from you. Love to talk to you. For merchandise, uh, if you want to get some cool swag with the logo, I got shirts, hats, gloves, masks, um, coffee cup, beer mug, all that. Um, go to Zazzle, Z-A-Z-Z dot com slash store slash homegrown underscore KC underscore store. Thank you goes out to my talented sister-in-law, Sarah McCombs, for the creation of my logo. To the Dear Misses for the use of their song, Kansas City, as the intro and outro music of the show. And to local libraries, which enable me to gather my research. Thanks for listening. Cheers.
Okay. As and they then went. after the for, war, just nobody came back. Um, there were some people there that stayed. Um, like I said, there were, um, I don't know if it was 14, 17 families that, that stayed and still at, to this day, there's, oh, I think maybe five families that are still there, um, the generations. Um, Anthony Hope, who I mentioned, he's fifth generation um, freed slave, and they're still there. Their family is. And one interesting um, fact, when they would come across the river, they were afraid to because um, their masters and everyone said, don't go over there because there's Indians and there's savages and they'll kill you and all these horrible things. Well, Anthony's um, brother, Jesse, um, he would tell us that um, the Wyandotte greeted them and said that we they were people of the earth, just like us. And then they would take them in and then we would, we would hide them from those that were coming and then help them also along with, with other people in the town to get them on their way on the underground railroad, which is a big sense of, of pride um, for us as, as Wyandots, but just as people that we were part of some history that was so, so important um, at the time. Well, so that um, kind of is related to my other question is, do you know, and if you don't, it's totally fine. I don't expect you to know every question I answer, um, question I ask, but do you know if um, there were any raids conducted in the Quindera area because they were housing runaway slaves? Um, I, I don't know of like a formal raid into the town. Um, what I've heard is that the um, just the the slave masters would would send out people that were looking that, that the slave masters would would send people out to to find them. And from the stories and things that we've told, all the people that come through um, seeking freedom, only one person was ever caught. Oh, okay. Taken back. So some could go on um, the railroad up into Lawrence, but a lot of people we could get out and they could go up north through um, 